to Interdisciplinary Heal Wells podcast about people who take care of people and all the places and perspectives that lift us up. We love science, we love meaningful dissent, and we love to support our fellow humans and making our world a place that is just, equitable, and loving beyond our own imagining. Thanks for joining us for another rousing conversation about uh, all the things that are keeping us up at night. So um, if you're not already in the Healwell community, make sure that you check that out, community.healwell.org. So you can have more of these conversations and you don't have to wait till Saturday. Um, and also you don't have to shout into the air like you do in your car. You can actually have those conversations with your uh, fellow humans who are thinking and worrying about the same things. Uh, we also have some pretty amazing content these days on our Patreon, which you can hop in at the $1 a month level, $1. Come on, people. $1 to see and experience complete lunacy and education all rolled into one. We've got our wisdom versus cookie episodes. We've got documentaries. We have Corey's cartoon countdown, uh, all kinds of cool things to remind you that um, the world is fun and that there is uh, craziness happening out there to keep us in balance and make us happy. So as you know, and I think this is really probably why most of you listen, we have a pun lined up. I hope that my uh, excellent guest is ready for this because um, I'm wondering if you know what happens when someone haps, slaps you at a high frequency. I do not. It hurts. <laughs> Yes. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so friends, I am uh, so excited to be joined today by Laura Bryant-Erner, Healwell's vaunted service director and grower of all things service related uh, in the world of Healwell. And we actually, uh, we're, we're going to use a comment that we got through uh, the social medias from a one of our followers on Facebook who it's unclear. Facebook makes it real hard to know where things come from or how to get in touch with people. But um, this person commented after listening to one of our episodes and said, um, I really like the discourse. I think that Cal mentioned, quote, elevating the profession, and I could feel my being clench at the thought. Why, you may ask? My brain hears, quote, join the medical institutions. The images that follow are cookie cutter treatments and someone breathing down my neck. I can't envision massage becoming better by joining the institutions, and I can't envision massage therapy changing the institutions. Really, I think something will be lost. I realize my thinking may be flawed or fear-based, but I'd like this topic developed. Well, Pat Delaney, we are here to develop it. Um, <laughs> So it is not an easy topic, and I, I, I will speak for myself in saying that um, I have felt and regularly feel some of the same concerns that you have expressed. Uh, Laura has been growing Healwell's presence in those uh, institutions for a number of years now with us, and uh, I have been doing that work before uh, Laura came and saved me from it. So we thought we would uh, share a bit about what challenges we face and what we see and we're really lucky to have a, a really nationwide community of other massage therapists who are doing hospital-based work in those uh, institutions and have uh, some stories of challenge, stories of success, stories of like, hmm, let's see how this turns out. So I don't know, Laura, wh where, where should we start? What are your thoughts uh, just right off the cuff about this issue? Yeah, well, first of all, hello, Cal, and, and hello to our listeners. It's great to be here. Um, so my, when, when I saw that comment, I wanted to talk about how Healwell uses Elevate the Profession. You know, we, we talk about that a lot. We use that phrase a lot. What do we mean? Yeah. Elevate the profession. So, you know, Cal, you had mentioned that in, the, in that uh, podcast before. So when, when you use the words Elevate the profession, what are you getting at? What, what are you envisioning as lifting up massage therapy? Well, it's, it's interesting because I feel like that question could go two ways. It's like, what do we do to elevate the profession or sort of what would it mean to be in a profession that has been elevated from the current state? And so I think maybe I'll take the second part, um, which is, is that when, you know, like, I know ABMP has just uh, partnered with uh, an organization or a, a therapist who has been doing some advocacy and, and they're calling their organization Respect Massage. And the thrust of this is to empower massage therapists to make it clear that what they're offering is a therapeutic intervention and not possibly something that 
also involve sex or sexual interaction. And I think that's important because of where we are. If no one is no one is wondering if a nurse might also provide some sort of sexual aspect to their treatment. When you go to physical therapy, the idea is not that you may also get what we have come to know as a happy ending. Um, that's not because of just the environment that they're in. Uh, that is because of the perception that we have allowed to persist of massage therapy. And, you know, I think our one of our struggles, of course, is that, and I say one because we have a lot of struggles, um, <laughs> is that not everyone wants to work in a hospital and that elevating the profession doesn't mean where we practice. It means how we educate ourselves, how we think about ourselves, how we present ourselves, and that there are a number of factors that will go into elevating the profession and that do go into it, at least from the perspective that we, uh, we come from at Healwell. Yeah, I like that. I mean, when you're, when you are in the hospital and actually you're in, you and our therapists are in patients' homes, you're in community-based clinics, yeah. you're all over. Um, what, what does it mean to you? What do you do out there that sort of feels like elevating or where you see it and you go, oh, you know, if the profession were in a different position, this is a thing I wouldn't have to deal with or worry about. Yeah. Well, so many of the practices that we use in the medical institutions, such as charting and becoming just kind of a seamless integration with the team goes, you know, transfers to all of the settings that we work in, whether it's homes, whether it's um, infusion bays, whether it's in, you know, certain facilities that we go to, you know, living homes, um, skilled nursing homes, things like that. All, all of that is our skills that can be applied and used anywhere in any location. And I think I agree with you. I mean, I think that's where Healwell is coming from is that the practitioners who provide massage are these human beings who not only have a great pair of hands and know how to use them properly, but are really bringing the people skills, the soft touch skills that we talk about of communicating with our clients, communicating with other practitioners, um, really bringing touch to folks who maybe have never even had massage before. We, we work a lot with underserved communities. And so a lot of that is education and saying, this is what massage looks like. This is what massage can do for you. And this is how it can be part of your other treatments that you are receiving for X, Y, or Z. Yeah, I feel like, and, and I think for us at Healwell, you know, one of the challenges, uh, here we are with another challenge, is that generally speaking, massage therapy schools and everyone driving in their cars or wherever you're listening will go, not the school I went to or not the school I run or whatever. I'm not saying all schools, but many schools have students graduating from their programs who have a minimal understanding of physiology and that it is, in fact, um, sometimes incomplete, sometimes straight up wrong. Uh, we leave with ideas uh, that demonize mainstream medicine and physicians and nurses and the people who work in healthcare settings. We, we kind of come out of school with this idea that what we're offering is better than and even could replace surgery, opioids, all of these things that have, again, come to be demonized in our culture. And I agree that Many of those things are overused, but massage therapy will not replace opioids, nor should it. It won't replace surgery. Uh, I do think that better trained practitioners will be able to shift the perspective of other providers to a place where we will be invited into the conversations leading up to opioids, leading up to surgeries, and we become part of the picture. But I don't actually know too many massage therapists who are able to have a collaborative conversation with another provider. And I think if I were going to encapsulate what I feel like elevating the profession is, it's all of the things that go into making us as massage therapists capable, willing, um, and invested in communicating with other providers in the system that none of us can be the only provider 
you can't be the super nurse. You can't be the super massage therapist that makes it so that your clients don't need to see their psychotherapist, don't need to see their primary care provider, that people are complex and they need different providers to attend to their needs. And so I feel like a lot of what we find ourselves doing is unteaching massage therapists inaccurate stories they've learned about other types of providers and treatments. And then also reminding them, as you so beautifully alluded to, Laura, that your hands are maybe 20% of the value that you're bringing to the people that you touch. And um, perhaps that's because of the work that we do, you know, when you work with a, some, with a person who is affected by serious illness, acute illness, you are really primarily engaging with their nervous system. It's not about soft tissue manipulation. So there are types of providers, I think, whose benefit is probably a larger percentage from from what they do with their hands uh, and that that does what they learn to do with their hands starts in massage school. But the things that bring true value in terms of like uh, adjusting and nourishing, nourishing the fascia and supporting the remodeling of scar tissue and, and things like that, you don't learn that in massage school. You do learn it in a continuing education environment, but it becomes little silos of specialization and we don't prioritize what you referred to earlier um, as as soft skills. And that's really, I think, where where we have a lot of work to do in terms of elevating our ability to collaborate and and bring value. Yeah. And and I think we've we've seen that a lot here in a lot of our classes and the stewardship programs where we're we're we get folks coming in and saying, oh, I can't possibly work with somebody when they're asleep or if they have a fever and 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 we're we're like you said earlier, unlearning what we learned in massage school, which is, I think is in some ways it's, it's making sure that massage schools are not sending people out to the world who are unsafe. So it's get, you know, folks are taught a very blanket curriculum to cover all the bases. And then when people get out of school, many people, not all, but many people get out and they say, oh, I can't possibly do X, Y, and Z. And here we are saying, well, actually you can. And if you think about the body and the nervous system and the context and the situation you can modify and Mm -hmm. and there's always a way where touch can be received safely and effectively yeah absolutely well and i i feel like the even if you're providing what what we sort of i don't know colloquially culturally call relaxation massage and Mm -hmm. let's just put in a massive plug for relaxation massage and imagine, (laughs) imagine a world where every person on the planet earth received a relaxing massage once a week, it would be a different world. Um, however, your hands are not the main thing that makes that relaxing. And when you are taught that your hands are doing things to the body and that you are sort of intervening in a system of imbalance and that you are somehow creating balance with your hands, I think we start at a deficit. And so even if the goal of your practice is relaxation massage, and maybe even more so, you need serious cultivation of those soft skills, because part of the relaxation is being able to actually meet your client where they are. And I feel like this is a a phrase that gets tossed out all the time. You know, oh, well, you got to meet people where they are. Well, so so let's let's take a little pause right here. So what does that actually mean when we say, you know, meet people where they are? Um, what does that mean to you? Or like what, you know, when you're training our therapists in yeah. these various settings, how do you guide them in that? I think it's a lot. It's it's about creating space for and that was one of those words that I just really irritated me when I first got into <laughs> massage school. And here I am spouting. Totally. <laughs> but within within yourself, creating that time and space for yourself to be open and listen to the person who is in front of you and giving them time and space to share with you where they're at, whether that's their emotional state of being, whether it's their physical state of being giving them that time to let you know what's going on with them right now. And rather than me barging in and saying, oh, you've got X, Y, and Z. So this is what I'm going to do for you and not giving them, maybe they don't want me to touch their feet that day. Yes. Yeah. And this is, this is really about just being with another human being in a meaningful way, I think. 
Yeah. And I, I, you know, I feel like, again, this is a thing that we can't, um, <laughs> we can't shortchange the way that we teach this. It's not a thing that we can just do. And I, I feel like massage therapists are at a particular deficit because the story we tell ourselves and the story that sort of culture supports is that we are somehow uniquely compassionate and open people because of course, why else would we do this work? And I don't know that that's untrue, but it doesn't make us uniquely aware of our cognitive dissonance or of our biases or of the things that prevent us from actually meeting people where they are. Um, I was just listening, a friend of mine recommended, um, I cannot get away from Brene Brown as much as I try. It drives me insane. Um, but they just recommended, uh, Brene Brown has this podcast that I think is sort of new. It's called Unlocking Us. And she interviewed this um, person. Uh, his name is Dr. Sean Ginwright. <clears throat> and he wrote, uh, his most recent book is The Four Pivots, Reimagining Justice, Reimagining Ourselves. And in it, he talks, of course, in this episode, he talks about the four pivots. And He's talking specifically about um, social justice and sort of how do we get involved meaningfully in social justice. And I, I feel like as massage therapists, we are, um, we are advocates, we are uh, educators, we are people who are here to support, to support, to not initiate, to not <laughs> bully our clients into behavior change. That, when you come to your massage therapist, something that you are doing or have done for, for most people, there's sort of like this idea, like I'm going to get a massage because this thing is not working. Some people certainly bless these people are doing just sort of monthly or some other regular self-care. And they just like, nothing has to be wrong. They're just getting a massage. But in these pivots, he talks about how the very first pivot is what he calls mirror work and that you cannot be of service you cannot participate in meaningful change without having turned the mirror on yourself and without being willing to look at the world and your experiences with other people as mirrors. And that when you see things outside yourself that you are unhappy with, the outside world is a mirror of what's inside you. And so can we, I don't feel like there's a lot of focus in massage school. And again, there's a wide variety, which is one of our other challenges. <laughs> Every massage yeah. school does it differently, but there's not this opportunity for self-discovery and self-awareness so that when you come into your practice, you understand the, the basic universality of human suffering and the, the ways that seeing people in pain affect you and how that pushes your buttons and how, what, can be perceived as compassion or care for another person actually prevents you from showing up to or making space for that person because you you want to fix, you want to help. And um, I just don't think that that's a thing we spend maybe any time really exploring. And if we wanna elevate the profession, I feel like that is a big piece of what has to happen is that it, we're volunteering, actually we're not volunteering, we're getting paid to show up to suffering. And if you don't know how to do that, you're going to do a lot of un, uh, unintentional, but still harm. Right, right. You know, it, it reminds me last month we were in our uh, monthly meetings, we, we were talking about ableism. And mm. for, for some of the therapists, it was, I, I just, I don't have the experience of having lived in a body that is perceived as disabled. Yeah. And so we were talking about the different ways that the folks that we work with, especially in the medical institutions, their bodies are not functioning what we call, you know, normal in a normal right. capacity. And it could be anything from um, musculoskeletal issues to medication, to chemotherapy, to everything. And, and you know, we were refer used the, uh, the social justice panel that are talking about, you know, the really great folks that we had on in Healwell's panel about talking about the way that their lives are lived. Right. And, and it is inviting the therapists to imagine what these people's lives are like and how they go about their daily lives. Yeah. And how, and then going back to, so that we can meet them. Yeah. In this place and, and just open up our imaginations of, Oh, hey, I 
I could do this in order to better serve my client who has this in their life, as opposed to just blithely saying, oh yeah, they'll, they'll be able to get up these stairs without any problem. Right. You know, so chemotherapy patient who, this one really got me. I'll share. I was at a medical institution a couple of weeks ago and uh, there was uh, two women waiting for an appointment and I was waiting for my client. And one of the women got up, started looking around and I said, Hey, can I help you? And she said, yeah, we're looking for the restroom. I said, yep. It's at the end of the hallway down there. She goes and gets her friend and says, okay, we've got to walk all the way down to the other end. And the friend stands up and starts shuffling. Clearly was not going to be able to make it all the way down the very long hallway. And I said, oh, hey, there is a bathroom closer. Let me walk you to it. Mm -hmm. And we start walking to it. One of the other hospital employees comes up behind me. And just as I said to these two women, if you turn the corner, the bathrooms, both bathrooms are right there for you. And this employee looks at me and says, well, I was going to go to the bathroom. And I wanted to turn to him. I almost said to him, well, then take your healthy two legs yeah, and walk down to the other bathroom. I mean, this, he was just oblivious to what was going on. And I think that's, that's where we're inviting people to say, look around you. That's yeah. where meet the person where they are, be aware be curious and yeah. be open to how can I be of better service to the person in front of me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to, I think um, I just had a, a really lucky opportunity this week. Um, a friend of mine is a, a professor at a medical school and she was doing a unit with her students around um, just all of the isms, you know, and, and, this particular day, she had a panel of people lined up to talk about LGBTQIA plus issues. And some of her speakers kind of bailed at the last minute. And so thankfully, because of COVID, they were totally enabled to wire me in, even though this was in a, a state many hundreds of miles from here. And we were talking about, um, there were a couple of other trans people on the panel, and we were talking about the importance. These are basically med students who are about to become residents and they, and they're, and they're so cute because they're like 25. They want to do it right. They don't want to do it wrong. They, they have many of them, the fire of social justice and they understand and, and like, they know these are important issues, but they're not entirely sure how to address them and how, what their role is. And of course, as a new doctor, you don't feel like you can sort of create waves and, and ripples and things, but we were talking about how it's really important to remember that you're not interacting only with the person in front of you and that the way you behave in your practice and the way you interact with others, um, this uh, one of the people on the panel is a, uh, a non-binary person who has done some uh, hormonal and surgical transition, but is married to a cisgendered woman. Okay. And so when the cisgendered woman went for her, um, and cisgendered, uh, for those of you out there, means that the way you present, your gender presentation matches the sex you were assigned at birth. So she looks female, which big air bunnies around female. But um, <laughs> so, but her provider said to her, oh, what did she say? It was something, something that made it really clear that the way this person, oh, she asked, she, the provider asked what her pronouns were. The provider said, my name is Dr. So-and-so. My pronouns are blah and blah. What are your pronouns? And that this person who looks by all accounts to be a straight woman, uh, heterosexual, white, cisgendered, um, all the normal boxes get checked, right? because this provider doesn't know that this person actually is partnered with a non-binary person and is in a technically same sex relationship. I mean, right. It gets very complicated, but the, this person's wife reported back to them that they felt so much more able to be open with that provider. And so, you know, when I walk into a doctor, you could tell there's something different about me, right? Like I'm sort of a female, sort of a male. Like people are like, huh, I should be careful about pronouns, et cetera. But this person had no tells. And because this provider just provides care in this way, a ripple of safety was created. And so I think that this is part of what we're talking about is that therapists say to me all the time, well, I don't work with oncology. I don't work with gay people. I don't work with people who have disabilities. And I'm like, 
don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, surprise, surprise. you know, welcome to the planet Earth. I mean, and in, in the United States, one in four people is affected by a disability and not all disabilities are visible. So this is the thing, this is, and this has been always our frustration as we've gone through COVID as well as people are like, well, I don't come in contact with anybody who's immune compromised. How do you know that? People you don't know, walk around like, you with all signs. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. And you don't know who those people are going home right. to. So, so I wonder, so let me stop there. What do you have to add to that? Because I have another question, but. Well, I wanted to circle back around. You know, we were talking about, um, uh, you know, what value we bring to medical institutions and the services and integrating with other practitioners. And, and what we often see is massage therapists who feel like they have to apologize for offering massage, you know, and, and we see this in the stewardship and we see this in the classes and, and hi, I'm, I'm Laura and I'm, I'm here, you know, when I'm talking to a nurse I, and I'm here to massage your person and is it okay? Right. <sighs> and, and, you know, all of us have gone through that of, I have a very bad case of imposter syndrome and I shouldn't be here. Right. And we're, we're here to tell you that, yes, you should be here because you have an invaluable service to offer somebody. Yeah. And you have every right to be there if you have done your homework of, and, and this is getting back to getting, you know, elevating the, the profession of educating yourself and with the skills in the medical skills, the soft skills, the whole package, you have yeah. every right to be in that moment to offer massage to somebody. And there may be reasons that the nurse says, no, now is not a good time. The patient says, no, you know, we get to be the person they say no to. Right. But it, it, again, it is, it is bringing therapists awareness to you have so much value to offer Mm -hmm. wherever you are practicing. Yeah. And you have every right to be there to offer. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of the art and what's fun uh, for me in teaching therapists in this environment is that I think that there's sort of therapists occupy one end of the, of the spectrum. And, and it's either the, oh gosh, I'm so sorry I exist spectrum, or it's God damn it, respect me. I'm a massage therapist. And it's like, (laughs) so here's the thing, everybody. Um, When you because the way it works for most of the programs that we we participate with is that we get a list from nurses, physicians, whoever it is that's sort of our main point of contact at that Elliot facility. Care. Yeah. And and then we go to where the patient is and we say to the other provider, usually a nurse who's sort of directly attending to that patient, hey, I got a referral from so-and-so. This is what I know about this patient. You know, it's not a is it okay if I massage? It's like, how does massage fit into this moment in this patient's life? And is this a good time? And sort of like, it's a conversation about how do I offer this, this intervention in the way that is most supportive to the patient and least disruptive to the flow of care. And that that's what a phlebotomist would do. That's what a physical therapist would do. That's like, uh, there are lots of other providers who will see that nurse's patient and to be able to ask that nurse is now a good time. I have eight patients. If this isn't a good time for this patient, I'll go see another one and come back. But it isn't a sorry for breathing in your space kind of a question, right? It's like, a, <laughs> I am yeah. another skilled provider in this interdisciplinary team. And I want to make sure that we're continuing to collaborate and that I don't just show up and say, I'm going in to see your patient or that I just walk in yeah. and start working with this patient. And then, you know, they pull up with who knows what the dialysis machine, the whatever it is. And you're like, Oh, Oops. I probably should have asked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, totally. and it's also a great time for the, the nurse or, or whomever that you're speaking to, to, to let you know what the situation is before you go in and you're saying, yep, the, the person had a really bad night and they were, you know, reporting that they had pain in their feet. And so they, you might want to start off offering to work with their feet or it just, it, it allows the nurse as well to provide you with any information that, so that you can provide better service too. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that then you have, you're starting to build a relationship with this other provider. So after you've spent 20 minutes or however long with their patient, if they're available, when you're done, you can come up to them and say, thank you so much. I was able to 
insert thing you were able to do to support their patient or wow, your patient remained agitated. I tried a variety of things. We'll come back tomorrow and see, you know, if tomorrow's a better fit. But I, I was paying attention while I was working with your patient. I heard what you said and I built it into my session plan. And I think, again, I want to, a lot of our experiences are from in those sorts of settings, but I think I really, and this is why I love when therapists come to our online community or to our courses who, who have no interest or plan to work in a hospital or clinical setting, because this is the same with, with a, a client's primary care provider or pulmonologist or endocrinologist or whoever, whatever the providers they might be seeing, you can request of that client, do you mind if I converse with other providers who are, you know, participating in your care? And to really demonstrate that you are someone who is willing and able to provide a level, a type of care that they aren't because you work in a different discipline. And I think this is the, to get back to to Patty's question about, you know, it just breaks my heart that that <laughs> she can't envision massage becoming better uh, by joining institutions or that massage could change the institutions. And um, <laughs> I feel like she's saying, heal well's a waste of time, which of course she's not saying, but we exist because we actually believe both of those things. We believe that by partnering with other disciplines and developing those collaborative relationships, we can improve massage therapy. And the other thing to remember is that the institutions are not the people in the institutions. And that one of the really exciting things for us over the last almost 12 years that we've been working in those environments is that they're full of champions. They're full of people who also don't believe in the future of the institution, but they do believe in people. And they do believe in the power of people who are paying attention to collaborate to improve outcomes for the people who find themselves in hospital beds or living with chronic or serious illness out in the community. So I do actually believe that massage therapists and massage therapy can change the institutions because we come in with a different perspective and there are people in the institutions going, oh, that's my perspective too, but I, I didn't know how to like advocate for it. And But I happen to actually be the vice president of quality assurance or nursing and talk right. to me about how we can do this. And, right. you know, the institutions didn't get this way overnight, so they're not going to un-get this way overnight. But I do think that it's real clear to most of the people working in our healthcare system, again, big air bunnies, that it's broken and that things need to happen differently. Um, so I do think that we have the potential to change both massage and the institutions through massage. Oh, absolutely. I get so excited when, um, you know, start joining a team, a palliative care team. And there are folks on the team who love what we do and really value what we do. And then there are folks who are like, oh, that's so sweet. That's so cute. And, and, you know, and it's like, okay, here, you know, okay, this is, this is the person that we are going to prove ourselves to. And, and it's, and it's nothing, um, you know, specific to a person, but it's, it's, we, we show up, we do the work, we chart and we communicate with other practitioners and we're communicating with the patients and the clients. And, and you start to see that softening of someone who says, oh, isn't massage sweet and nice to wow, there's some value or, hey, this practice, massage therapist really stepped up and stepped into the gap between other practitioners and, wow, okay, now, now I'm going to start adding more referrals to the therapist and, and how can we get them more hours and, and everybody needs to, to have massage in, the, in their programs. And, and it just starts to snowball into somebody who was very, very unsure of what we offered to becoming a, a strong advocate for massage therapy in these settings. And I love seeing that. That is like <laughs> one of the best parts of this job. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you know, you said like, this is a person that I'm going to prove myself to. And, and what you mean is I'm just going to do what I do, I do yeah. as a massage therapist practicing within the broad array of my discipline. Yeah. And they will 
probably see that the value goes beyond nice to have. Yeah. And, and I'm is... not going to do anything special nope. except what I do, which is collaborate, yeah. communicate, bring curiosity, do yeah. all those things that, that I do anytime. The work and... speaks for itself. Absolutely. And that, that is the beauty, I think, of what we can offer in anywhere, really, truly, and in any setting and situation is, is we are showing up and doing the work at a really high level of proficiency and competency. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that, that really does again, go back to the art of, it's not overconfidence. It's, it's the ability to say, this is what I'm able to do. This is where I feel unsure and need to ask my colleagues about like, you know, like I remember I was working with a patient in the ICU. This was many years ago now. And they had this big blanket. It wasn't, I can't even call it a blanket. Like it, it's what it's called a bear hugger. I learned um, from the respiratory therapist that it's this big thing that they fill with hot air and that they place over a patient when they're having a hard time um, regulating their body temperature for any number of reasons. But it's a clear indicator that this patient is having some serious metabolic and physiological challenges. Um, but I was asked to go see this person. And, and so I walked to the threshold of the room and I'm like, I can barely see the patient like with my eyes where are this, you <laughs> this giant white thing attached to this giant fan that's sort of fluttering over the patient and the patient is intubated and there's tons of tubes and machines around them and I'm like so and at that point I knew there were parts of the patient's body that I could touch but I also knew there was a lot happening with this patient and that probably affecting their nervous system could be dangerous depending on, you know, what was happening. And so I went to the respiratory therapist who happened to just be charting nearby. And I was like, you know, when you have a second, I just like to ask you about this patient. And oh my gosh, he was so excited to tell me everything about <laughs> what was happening with that patient. And, and then every time I had a, a respiratory therapy type question, I would just find Joe would be like, Hey Joe. Um, so what's going on here? He's like, Oh, sedation vacation. So that's when, and I was like, hold on, let me get my notepad, you know? <laughs> and so if you ask from a place of like, as a massage therapist, there's no reason I should know these things. So there's no reason for me to be embarrassed about asking. I do have to recognize that this other provider might have something else to do right now. And maybe we make a date for later to talk about it, but that is how we have learned so much. And I think that's how the providers who are not massage therapists who work with us have learned. They'll be like, so this person is, you know, list of challenges. What are you going to do with them for massage? And so like we describe we redefine massage, first of right, all, right. because this is not the massage you got on your cruise to Aruba. Like this is, this is kind, skilled hands intervening and, and connecting with the nervous system. Like I'm not typically in, at least in the populations we work with, there's not a lot of soft tissue manipulation um, that sort of like long flowing strokes are not often possible in this setting. Like there are all sorts of things that you imagine about massage that aren't what we do when we're working with people who are seriously challenged, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible opportunity. Like you said, to just watch people come around to, Oh, I can trust you. Uh, my patient is in a very tenuous position and I think you might be able to help them. And I'm willing to invite you into that process and that that doesn't happen overnight, but, um, it happens through consistent, professionalism, communication, curiosity, all those things. Yeah. And I just want to give a shout out to our heal wealth folks who oh, are yeah. in, in these, in these programs. And, and I just had a conversation the other day with one of the coordinators for one of the, the palliative care programs. And she said to me, she says, I go back and reread all of, I read all of the, the charts that your therapist put in. And she said, I, I had no idea that, that you guys were charting like that. And it has been so helpful for us, the other practitioners on the team to be able to read the massage notes and see what, what the situation is in that time and things that, that maybe someone else missed, we might be able to pick up on and it's there and it's documented. Yeah. And she was, she clearly had not expected that level of professionalism. Yeah. And you know, I just want to give a shout out to all of our heal well therapists who Definitely. bring that day after day 
and put the work in to really, hey, elevate the profession. <laughs> yes. Well, and I want to address, because I share the concern, and I don't think this concern is unique to this person who, who sent us this comment, that if we if we sort of get in bed with the with the institutions and and healthcare, that we are resigning ourselves to cookie cutter treatments, I think was the phrase she used, and somebody breathing down your neck. And I do think that we have to be careful as we continue to advocate. And and that's why one of the things that we've really shifted um, at Healwell in the last handful of years is to make it clear that we are advocating for massage therapists, that massage therapy is what massage therapists can provide. But what we're advocating for is a practitioner of a discipline that is not yet represented in most mainstream healthcare. And that if you are inviting me in as a practitioner of a discipline, you are trusting me to use the skills at my disposal within that discipline. And so if like Laura was saying, you know, this patient was up all night complaining about pain in their feet. Well, so you get in the room and you see that this patient actually has a decubitus ulcer, a bed sore on one of their feet. Well, you're not going to massage where right. that no. skin <laughs> is broken down, right? But you can still support this person in feeling more comfortable by possibly providing some massage to their hands or their scalp or anywhere else on their body. You can engage their nervous system in a way that can make pain something other than their primary experience. So if a patient complains of pain and the quote medical necessity that allows massage therapy to be reimbursed says you have to rub their foot, we're in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. I completely agree. That is not how we want to move forward. But I think that's one of the benefits for us um, in developing the relationships we've developed over the years with palliative care, because one of the more popular funding models that is catching on in palliative care is what's called per diem or bundled payments, where essentially a patient is eligible for palliative care and their insurance company says, okay, you have this many dollars per day to treat this person. You, medical director, whoever the decision maker is on that team with the payer, gets to decide how that money gets spent. So if that's massage three times a week. It's not massage to the person's hip because they had hip surgery. It's right. massage therapist, go and interact with this patient and see what you know from your training would be beneficial. And if you get there and you're like, wow, massage is not beneficial for this person that you then report back to the team. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. Possibly a social work visit, possibly a chaplaincy visit. But that um, I do think that this is the double-edged sword most massage therapists are not able to, don't have the critical thinking and clinical decision-making skills to do other than rub where it hurts. And that's another place where we need to elevate the profession is to understand that the nervous system is the number one system we're interacting with as massage therapists. Then we get to the muscular system, then we get to fascia, then we get to all these other sort of mechanical, physical things. But um, that's a really important thing to keep in mind in how we talk about what we do. Well, and I think the understanding of pain is always changing. And, you know, Recently uh, here at Healwell, we've been talking about the perception of pain. The pain really hasn't been addressed in any, you know, sizable way, but it's, wow, I, the pain is there and I feel better because maybe I'm more relaxed or for, you know, whatever reason. And, and we've had several, I'm thinking of one woman in particular, one of the hospitals, sickle cell patient. And she said, like my pain number is the same. We're, we're doing a, a research study at this hospital. She was, you know, charting her pain numbers. So they haven't changed pre and post massage, but my perception has changed. I right. feel better. Right. And that I think is a really rich conversation to have with massage therapists of, you know, we're, we're not putting our thumb on this spot and suddenly the pain is going to go away. That's right. not what we're talking about. And, um, there's just a whole all rich conversations to be had with therapists about how we interact with the person in front of us and how the work that we do will be perceived by that person. And I would love to, to sit down with Patty and ask her, so where, where is this reservation that you have coming from? Like, what are mm -hmm. your experiences? Mm -hmm. um, and tell me more about that, just so that, that I, I would just love to have that conversation with her. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so many therapists, I feel like it's so common. Oh, I'm not going to get involved with insurance because they're going to tell me what to do. And it's like, okay, like it's not unfounded, but give me some, give me some dirt. Where, where'd that come from? Yeah. (laughs) And and like you said before, I think it all boils down to these are systems made up of people. Yeah. And maybe interactions that a therapist had had with other people was perceived in a negative way. Yeah. And, And that's going to be true of all systems, but there are a lot of really um, invested people in the healthcare systems who their first and foremost priority is the patient and providing real quality care Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, heal well. And and so many other hospital-based massage therapists feel that massage therapy is quality care and can be included within that system. Yeah. In a real meaningful way. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. Yeah, no, I, I I guess I was just thinking about, you know, in a in some research I was doing for a grant that we're about to submit, um, I was talking with some nursing colleagues who were talking about their struggles in quote elevating the practice of nursing. And that as recently ago as like 1960, nursing wasn't a profession. Um you know, it really wasn't recognized as sort of healthcare and um, certainly not in the way it is now. And that there were a lot of growing pains. Some people got quote unquote left behind as nursing moved forward. But now we're in a place where you have the bachelor of nursing, you have masters, you have PhD, you have a whole array of education in nursing that um, massage therapy is just afraid to do. Um, we have come up to the edge yeah. of it many times. And when we get close to, we're going to set a standard that is higher than the current standard. There's just this huge outcry of, well, what about all the people who don't have that level of training? I, I don't know, but we never move forward. If we keep fearing that some people won't come along, some people won't come along and yeah. some people will find something else to do. Maybe two tiers will emerge. I'm not sure, but we're so busy catastrophizing that we can't possibly imagine something else happening that could result in benefits more than detriment. And, you know, this, this nurse, I mean, has been a nurse for almost 50 years and she's like, Oh, I was there for it. She saw it all. And it was a bloodbath and it was ugly. And, you know, there was divisiveness and all of these things, but at the end of the day, care is better nursing careers are better. I mean, the state of nursing right now, like we could do a whole nother episode about what COVID has done to nursing and, you know, but, but I think as far as like trained healthcare professionals, they had to do that and they didn't do it themselves. They sought out the support of other stakeholders. And this is one of the challenges of massage therapy is we, we pretend like there's nothing for us to learn from other disciplines who have been regulated and holding higher education standards for much longer than we have. And we don't think that anyone else can sort of, or should be a part of this conversation. And we have to stop thinking that way. We have to welcome in other people who are willing and able to advocate for what massage therapists can be and how we can contribute to the growing lack of the healthcare workforce and this whole picture of people needing care and that we can actually be frontline providers that are helping to triage and shunt people to the type of care that they need. But we can't do that in our current sort of siloed anti-healthcare perspective. Yeah. And I think it boils down to education, educating ourselves as massage therapists, and then educating other practitioners about what we can bring and how, and it would be easier to educate other people if there was a standardization. Yeah. This is the package that you're going to get rather than, you know, we were talking with somebody in the community the other night in office hours about, you know, this, this hospital wants to send massage therapists to the ICU. And this therapist is like, I don't know what to do. So if you don't know what to do, I'm going to ask you come to Healwell's stewardships and then you get to know what to do. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Now we're done with that plaque. But the point is, and, and this hospital was like, you don't need special training. We just need a therapist to show up. And this therapist has the smarts to say, wait a minute, something else needs to be in place 
before this happens and there need to be a, a there needs to be a process yes and that i think is what we're talking about is there needs to be a standardization and some processes in place in massage therapy as a career and as a profession absolutely well i'm i'm working on my uh bi-monthly column for massage and body work presently and this is one of the things that I'm talking about, actually a column, I don't get that many words. So this is what I'm talking about is what we can learn from nursing and how it might be time to pull up our big people panties and um, get to work on establishing a standard yes. that matters to people beyond the profession and that will give us the opportunities that so many of us feel we richly deserve, uh, <laughs> but that it's time to earn and show that we can uh, participate. So. Um, I look any, forward to reading that. <laughs> any uh, parting thoughts, Laura? Anything you didn't get to say or feel like you want to toss out to the people? No, I would just, you know, invite them to keep the conversation going about this. I think this is really a great conversation to be having within the massage therapy community and the field. Um, and, and, you know, reach out to other practitioners that you might be curious about, you know, the chaplains, the social workers, the nurse practitioners, the physicians, respiratory therapists. And, and if you're curious about what they do, they might become curious of what you do and you, you build up that network. And this, this applies to somebody who's in their own private practice clinic. who's not doing any hospital work. These right. skills are applicable across the board. Absolutely. Yeah, don't think that you can't reach out to those other providers because you're, quote, only in your home office or only in your private practice. Um, they, this is how we start to establish ourselves as healthcare providers, by reaching out to others and learning about what they do and teaching them about what we do. So, Absolutely. and if you, um, you know, I know we're always plugging the HealWell community, but when you bring these things up, quote, out there, you get a lot of all caps, you get a lot of shouting, you get a lot of people trying to say, well, take this class or be with this person. And, um, you know, I did it this way. And I feel like we have a different feel in the Hillwell yeah. community. And not that you can just live there in your supportive echo chamber, but you can help to build up the skills and cultivate what's necessary to go out there and sort of make your point and invite conversation in a way that might be more productive and, um, and we'll love on you while you're in there. So absolutely, uh, <laughs> come on into community.healwell.org and uh, keep listening to interdisciplinary and um, a big shout out and lots of sloppy kisses to our Patreons. Thank you guys for your support. Spread the word, you. tell your parents, tell your pets. And uh, get out there on social media, like us, love us, share us, comment, and uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And we'll look forward to saving the world with you next week. Mwah. Take care, everybody. Bye. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.